0: In this episode, we're asking you to grab some wood there, bub, and take a seat at the cool kids' table as we visit with the Breakfast Club. Stay with us.
1: Get ready for the 3324
0: podcast, where lifelong friends Dean Legiro and Eric Cooper share their love of all things music and movies. Dean has directed short films and is a music trivia
1: buff, and Eric, trained in audio engineering, brings his extensive knowledge of music and film to the conversation as they discuss, debate, and celebrate their favorite albums, films, and much more.
0: Welcome, friends, to the 3324 Podcast. My name is Dean, and I've got Eric with me.
1: Hey, how you doing out there? How you doing, sir? I'm, I'm doing good. Yourself? Just Capital, <laughs> just capital, just capital.
0: So we are talking uh, in this episode about The Breakfast Club, which is an iconic film from the 80s. Uh, John, John Hughes, has got his DNA all over this and and John Hughes has his DNA all over the 80s and, and part of the 90s. Oh, yeah. Um, but for this one, this one came out in 1985, written and directed by John Hughes. With a budget of one million dollars, mm-hmm. it made fifty one million dollars. Yep, that is money wi- wisely spent. Yes, indeed. That that <laughs> is is re- that is that's called return on your investment, uh, big time. Mm-hmm. Especially since they were really reluctant. Studio was reluctant to have uh, to have him direct this, so he kind of cut back on some of the budgeting and, and used an abandoned school and. and Kind of was able to, to save some dollars there, and it came back. It came back, uh, back fifty one fold, as it were. So, just a quick synopsis of this film, if you haven't seen it: five kids spend the day in detention. Uh, they come. They they come with predetermined notions about each other, and as they spend the the day and get into some different situations and and you know scenarios, uh, they leave with an understanding at the end of the day that they may have more in common than they thought with each other, mainly parent issues. So the five, the five characters, the five students are, are also broadly class classified as uh, you've got Molly Ringwald as Claire, and she's pretty much known as the, uh, you know, the, the, the beauty a snobbish beauty. You've Rich. got Anthony Michael Hall as Brian, who's like a brain, is a nerdy guy. He's a nerd. You have Emilio Estevez, who in this movie just looks like his dad. I'm sorry. He looks like Martin yeah. Sheen.
1: <laughs> <So> he, <laughs> like, yeah, he's the jock.
0: It, it, it's weird because like sometimes I'll see movies with, with Emilio Estevez. And I'm like, oh my God, it looks like his, his dad. Then I see a movie with Charlie Sheen Martin and I'm like, Scheme. oh my God, he right. looks like his dad. But they don't look alike.
1: No. They're they're very distinct. They have very distinct looks, but they but, both look like their dad. Yeah, you know, it's so weird. Right.
0: But mm-hmm. I, I think I think Emilio Estevez looks more because he's got the kind of the same face as Martin Sheen, like the kind yeah, of yeah, yeah, ovalish face and and the hair. You know, Charlie Sheen has like this black hair, like came from wherever, right? Um, <laughs> but but yeah, they both independently re- resemble their dad, but neither one of them look like they're related to each other as brothers. So, mm. um, and then you've got. Judge Nelson as as John Bender, who's like the rebel, you know, the burnout guy, uh, and then you have Ali Sheedy as Allison, who's like a shy girl she's with you know, kind of a weird, cla- sort of the you know, weirdo, yeah, yeah, to, you know, another, <laughs> yep, kind of an outcast. So it's mm-hmm. really really strange. So those are those are the five young leads. Um, and then you've got the great Paul Gleason as oh, the irrepressible, as Dick as, as Dick, Dick Verne and Richard Verne, and, <laughs> and and he's you know he's just one of those, he's he's one of those character actors that you know and you've seen he was he was Meeks in in Trading Places, and yeah. um, I think he was in Die Hard also. Die Hard. Was, yep, uh, I, I love I love him in this film.
1: Yeah, he's this is one probably his the the, the role that he's most known for. He's Most just so like yeah.
0: like f- full of himself and just so like swat like swaggering but then also just made a fool of in some scenes too. Yeah, yeah uh, but, <laughs> but he's he's just so great. He's just so great. Um and then there's one other guy, My, minor role is John Capellos and he plays Carl the janitor. Um you actually kind of see him in the in the beginning of the film they're they're like showing you different uh scenes from the school and you actually see a, a picture of, of Carl, like when he was in high school, I guess he yeah, had he done something special. Yep. So they had mm-hmm. his photo up mm-hmm. and then he, he turns out being the janitor.
1: Interestingly enough, that role was originally offered to Rick Moranis. There you go. And he uh, was actually, I, he was casted. Um, at, and, but I think he, he kind of backed out. So that's kind of, that's kind of weird. Yeah I, I, yeah. I don't think I, I can see him.
0: <laughs> I don't think I could see especially him especially not,
1: yeah.
0: especially not then in such a small role too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's I mean, why. Yeah.
0: yeah, he was like, you know, Ghostbusters and right. really doing big stuff, so that would be that would have been like a step down or mm-hmm. or a Absolutely. glorified yeah. cameo. Yeah. So this this we so we've got a couple of things going on with this film. You've got John Hughes on one hand, and then you've got the rise of the Brat Pack. Mm-hmm. which which kind of became a series of loosely uh, related related actors that had done some films together with with loosely related themes, all kind of young people and, and ensemble casts where they would kind of crisscross and you know members would kind of come in. But these these five Molly Ringwald, Emilio Estevez, Anthony Michael Hall, Jed Nelson, Ali Sheedy were, were considered like like the the brat
1: pack. Yeah, they. I think it started there.
0: Yeah, and yep. and then some some kind of. I guess ancillary or, or outside members are uh, Rob Lowe, Andrew McCarthy, you know, cause he had done a couple of films. So, so like if you had, if there was more than one of these people in a, in a film, it was considered a brat pack film. All of a sudden, um, James Spader was kind of out on the periphery. Like he was, was like, maybe, a, I guess he maybe was, an honorary member, but yeah. not fully in. Well, he was always the villain. <laughs> yeah. He, I he, <laughs> Spader in the eighties in, in his scum, in his scumbag mode, there's nothing better oh. when he's just like nasty and so like snobbish and just so looking down on people like mm-hmm. like I, that's when I loved James Spader was in the eighties
1: absolutely yeah
0: he was just like <laughs> like in uh, in Pretty and Pink and oh my God Steph Steph right so a lot of a lot of these classic characters came from like all these different films and and most of them came came from John Hughes
1: yeah he,
0: I mean he he was just just an amazing fountain of creativity and some of it admittedly is redundant um Mm -hmm. but let me let me start at 1983 okay and i'm gonna i'm just gonna go with the stuff he wrote Mm -hmm. okay and i'm gonna i'm gonna stop at 1990 okay so that's seven years that's seven years okay And every one of these I'm gonna is an pretty much an iconic film, except for one. One is one I've I've heard of and seen most of, and that was is kind of like a minor one. But we're gonna start with 1983. These are movies he wrote: Mister Mom, Mm -hmm. National Lampoon's Vacation, Nate Nate and Hayes, which was with Tommy Lee Jones. That was like a pirate movie, and Michael O'Keefe. That was like a swashbuckler film. So that's like the outlier that that does not fit with everything else. Yeah, right. Uh, After that, 16 Candles. The Breakfast Club, European Vacation, Weird Science, Pretty in Pink, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Mm -hmm. Some Kind of Wonderful, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. She's Having a Baby, The Great Outdoors, Uncle Buck, Christmas Vacation, and then he tops, he leaves 1990 with like at,
1: at the top with
0: Home Alone. He wrote those films
1: in seven years. It's quite a list. Quite a list. And you, when you when you examine it, when you see it on paper, or you, when you see it in front of you, the filmography, I, can't, I, I, I I forgot that he had wrote or directed or produced a lot of these films. And I'm like, wow, this is. Yeah. And I didn't even go into the nineties. I'll, I'll give just yeah. some
0: highlights. Yeah. Career Opportunities, Only the Lonely, Curly Sue, Beethoven, mm-hmm. Home Alone 2, mm-hmm. Baby's Day Out. I mean, he started to really get into the family stuff. He started, you know, he wrote 101 yeah. Dalmatians for Disney, the live action. You know, he did kind of, kind of go that that family-friendly Disney route. But 83 to 90, this, guy, this guy's DNA was all over classic films.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, so it, it's just one of those... Guys that yeah, you you think usually think the the core three or four films that he's so closely associated with Sixteen Candles, Breakfast Club, Weird Science, though you know, those types of films, um, which which is in his wheelhouse, obviously.
1: Mm-hmm. And pretty impating. Oh, hey,
0: hey, yeah. Mm-hmm. But all those other ones, I didn't even realize, like Great Outdoors. Not that I, I never saw the Great Outdoors, but it's one of those films that you you know, kind of uh, associate with classic '80s films when when those comedies were big, and, and people mm-hmm. would just go see those Uncle Buck and, and that kind of stuff. Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. I mean, that's a classic,
1: right? Then, of course, he had just those collaborations with certain people too, like John Candy, who we made. You know, that was like his Bobby De Niro to Scorsese, right? his to Scorsese. Kind of, I think he was in like maybe three or four films with him. Yeah, really hard when he died. Yeah,
0: Molly Ringwald also. Yeah, was was one, and and they actually kind of had a falling out. He, she wanted he wanted her to be, I think, in some kind of wonderful, and she was trying to get away from the whole teen thing, Mm. and said, "I don't want to do it." And and he never really kind of forgave her for not not wanting to do it.
1: Yeah, he he considered her his muse. I think that's. That's what it was. I mean, I I think in the case of the Breakfast Club, I think she wasn't even originally supposed to be cast as as Claire. Um, I think she was. uh, She wanted. He wanted her to audition for Allison, and she was like, "No, I want to play Claire." And she was adamant, so she convinced him. She convinced the studio to to get it done, and 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 she did. So maybe that's why you know, that relationship started to form. I don't know. Maybe he saw something in her that was like so strong and so, you know, so, so ambitious. Um, yeah. I mean, which, three, fil- you know, three films. Him.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> three films and pretty much almost back to back, like 16 Candles was 84, Breakfast yeah. Club was 85, Pretty in Pink was 86. So that's like a, you know, that's a Molly Ringwall trilogy right there. Mm-hmm. If there ever was one.
1: Right. I can't see her as Allison. There's no way, no. I, you know. This just. <laughs> do, you know, no.
0: do you know who they were talking about for Bender and Judd Nelson's role? Which I would, lo- I want to see this Breakfast Club. Um, Nicholas Cage. Nicholas Cage. Yeah. Oh my God, that would be insane. I I want to see that version of the Breakfast Club.
1: <laughs> I I yeah.
0: I, I, Cage. That would Forget be it. interesting. <laughs> Forget Look, it. would. He would have. It would it would have been insane. It would have uh, been
1: insane. That's true with Cage. When I when I think of him in like Moonstruck in those early roles, it, it uh, would, have, know, it would have been like it would have been absolutely nuts Cage.
0: Yeah, it would have been a totally different movie. They might not have been able to control it. That maybe that's why.
1: And I think they you know, didn't they cast uh, they he also he actually casted John Cusack to play Bender.
0: Yeah. Well, they, they, you couldn't that get two just, more different people than Cusack that. Just didn't and Cage. work out
1: because you know Cusack wasn't mean enough or tough enough or something to that effect, and um, so that's where Judd Nelson came in.
0: Yeah, but, oddly enough, yeah. Cusack and Cage would collide mm-hmm. in Con Air. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they would meet and they would discuss the fact that they lost that role to Judd Nelson but to Judd
1: Nelson, right?
0: But they're like, "We're here now on the on the set of Con Air, so good on us because where's Judd Nelson at the time?"
1: Yep. Oh yeah. He kind of, after breakfast club, I think he made a few couple more movies and I don't think any of them were really stand yeah. out
0: to, to varying no. degrees. I mean, he was in new Jack city, which was a pretty big film back, yeah, back in the night or early nineties. Um That was pretty big. And he was like one of the, uh, one of the cops, one of the detectives he's, he's been in and out. He certainly hasn't had a, anything consistent and not anything, anything big. Mm-hmm. I think really the, the two survivors out of this were, oddly enough anthony michael hall yeah who kind of really really kind of made a career went from a nerdy guy to like this big guy and and kind of a you know hulk not a hulking actor but but not this he didn't cash in on the skinny thing he just started doing regular stuff he was in the the ter- tv series the dead zone for a while which was which the was tv the, version of that pretty good by
1: the way i actually watched a couple of seasons of that it was that's it's actually a pretty decent series
0: yeah. And then he was uh he was hung upside down by Heath Ledger in uh in in Dark Knight. <laughs> right? He was he yeah, was the reporter. Right. That's the right right. Yep. That's right. And Heath
1: Ledger and, was and you had know, scissor hands, that's when he got like buff, and he was like the you know, the dick boyfriend and but yeah, all of a sudden he just he came out of nowhere with this bustling like, like I got ripped. Like what, what the hell happened? You know, this is not Brian, <laughs> you know, he was not going to be typecast. And, no. and then
0: I think the other one that, that kind of kind of made something out of it was Emilio Estevez,
1: mm-hmm.
0: although not so much later, but he did kind of sur- He kind of surged out of that. He did use the the breakfast club to really kind of also do other things. I mean, he went on to direct, he did young guns. So he was, he was definitely uh, leveraging w- what he had and the popularity that he had because he went from Breakfast Club, St. Elmo's of Fire, that was then, this is now. That's still in the teams, teen stuff. But then he did that film Wisdom, which is a really not a big film. I kind of dug it. It was from 86 it was yeah. with him and Demi Moore. Mm-hmm. He he wrote and directed that. So he was kind of getting out there. And then Young Guns, which was really big. Young Guns 2, which was really big. And then he hit like the the Disney pay dirt with Mighty Ducks. Mm-hmm. So think what you will about that. but But, but that became... A a big, a big thing for him. And then one of my favorite is uncredited is he was in Mission Impossible, the first one. That's right. He was in the very beginning and it's like, oh my God, Emilio Estevez is in this.
1: Unfortunately,
0: uh, unfortunately, he, he was the first member of the uh, IMF to not make it. <laughs> <Goodbye>. Yep. <laughs> he got taken out pretty quick. Right. That's because right. He was sitting on top of the <laughs> elevator. <laughs> I've never, I didn't know that elevators had those things up there that come yeah. down mm-hmm. and will like pierce your, like pierce your body. I never saw that before. So I'm like, I'm never going to go on top of an elevator ever. Mm. It, it's never going to happen. So he, so he had done some stuff. It, so a lot of director stuff too, which is, which is good for him. You know, not as much as the acting. Um, he directed the the movie Bobby, which is about uh, Robert Kennedy, yeah, uh, in two thousand six. So he's
1: he's been been pretty active in doing things. So he threw himself well into the craft behind the yeah. scenes, and yeah, writing, directing, yep, producing. Yes,
0: yeah. And he, and he dated he dated Paula Abdul. He was married to her for a while for two years. So.
1: And then we have Ali Sheedy. Who you know, again, she went on to do. You know, you see her. Well, she pretty much did a lot of coming of age type stuff, you know. And then later on, she, you know, she did stuff like, you know, fun stuff like, uh, like Short Circuit. Mm-hmm. She was in the first Short Circuit movie. She did War Games. This was before Breakfast Club with Ferris Bueller. That's that's right. Yeah, with, with so, Matthew Broderick. And you see, she's more of. I think I guess she became more of a character actor. You see her pop up, and I've seen her in like things like Law and Order over the years, and different TV shows and such. But she never. Probably didn't become as big you know as some of the other faces in, in on this list, but so let's uh let's talk a little bit about the film let's get back into okay. so who do you so out of these five people okay mm-hmm. who do you think you most related to when you first saw this film
0: when I first saw it well, that's a different thing so when I first saw the film, I saw it when it came out in eighty five yeah L- literally we were in the target audience fresh out of high school so the high school experience was still kind of fresh fresh in, in your mind and in your you know psyche and how you think about things and and all that kind of stuff so back then i might have maybe related to ali sheedy's character not mm-hmm. f- from the lies that she t- <laughs> not from the lying <laughs> yeah just from like the with withdrawn or i felt or, or maybe I, I i didn't maybe identify with her but i connected with her more I liked that character the best. Let me put it to you that way that that character was the most compelling to me because mm-hmm. she, she had no reason to be there. <laughs> there was really nothing she had no gripes for the most part right. um and she was just very strange so that to me was very compelling is she didn't speak for for the first half of the film and it was just every and everybody else in in the film's kind of wondering like what's her what's her deal what's with yeah. her she's weird you know, what's going on and she's yeah. eating the <laughs> she's eating the sandwich with the captain Crunch on it so uh, as a Captain Crunch fan, that that kind of got me right there too.
1: What yeah, about you? Uh, same, uh, but also a little bit of Brian. I think not so much the brainiac side of it, but the just the nerd. You know, it was kind of I was a skinny kid growing up, and you know, so I, I can relate to that. And then, of course, you know, with Ali Sheedy, was it was, the, it, was the, it was her introverted nature. Yeah, that was compelling, and for me, but even even telling some of those lies. Like I remember like me as a little kid, I would make up stories to people. Just I can't really think of anything offhand right now, but it's just, you know, but I I would do that. I would I would make up stories. I would act a little strange. I would I was always in my room. I was listening to weird music. I was kind of had my head in the sand uh for quite some time. So yeah, those those are the those two characters a little bit of combined, I think, for me. Certainly wasn't the jock. That was my brother. I mean, well, my brother was the jock and bender a little bit. <laughs> <And> so,
0: <laughs> yeah, um, it's. I, I think I think everybody could maybe find. I, I when I was thinking about it now, yeah, I, I was thinking there's probably there was probably, you know, because hindsight you you get some distance and you get some perspective and you mm-hmm. get the adult in you starts to look at it, and I was probably like, you know what? There's probably aspects of all of them. In in you know, when you when you're able to look at it now back then, you're like, Oh, this is you know, I feel like this, and my you know, my parents and don't they don't get me and all that, and you, you really relate to it. Mm-hmm. Looking back on it now, I'm like, well, there's there I, I was on track. I did play some sports. Was I a jock? No, but there was that aspect. Yeah. Did I cut class? Absolutely. Did I get suspended? Yes. So there's an aspect of bender there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right? So there was aspects of 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 most of these characters when you look back. And and take out well who do I identify with? It's kind of like well, kind of everybody, and and that's actually was the theme. Is is we're, at the end it was the same thing. It's like we're all this. That's the point. Yeah, you know we're we're, we're, we're all this. We're not these these narrow stereotypes.
1: Yeah, they did, they, they, they represented a, a different social class of the high school hierarchy. You know, so they come in and you know they're they're supposed to be separate, but by the end of it, they do. They, they have things in common and they find this out through the, through the course of the film. They, they express themselves. Each one gets a, gets a, a moment to shine so to speak and they find things out about each other that would never happen. Otherwise just walking down the, you know, the schools of the, the, the hallways of the school, like just looking at each other, they would never even consider being friends with that, with each other.
0: Yeah. yeah so kind of being put <clears throat> in, in school jail, Will yeah. do that because you've got no choice. The funny thing also is in the beginning of the film when they each get dropped off. The vehicles kind of give give you some tip offs also. Signify Molly Ringwald gets gets glass, in yeah. a luxurious car, and then Anthony Michael Hall. It's like a really just a, an economy car, and, and the, I don't know if you noticed the license plate. It's EMC two, which is Einstein's yeah. uh, <laughs> equation. So I caught that, and then like like Andy the sport guy gets dropped off in a Bronco, Bronco, in, yes. an SUV. <laughs> that, that father. I didn't realize when I watched it again. He's the detective from The Fugitive. That's right. You know, financially, you're not going to be hurting, are you? Doc? That's right. You know, I was like, <laughs> <Another> character <laughs> actor. Like, was like going in yeah. on Harrison Ford. Yeah. That yeah. guy. <laughs> so those, two, those two detectives were like unrelenting. On they uh-huh. just wouldn't leave him alone. Like, like they had it in for Harrison Ford, and and he was one of them. He was just like they just wanted him like no, guilty or innocent for some reason. It's like, we, we need to catch him.
1: Yeah, that's Cause, right. Cause it's going to
0: make us look bad if he's innocent. <laughs> <laughs> so he was, he was, he was the dad. He was Emilio rest as his dad. And then when I'm looking at him, I'm like, Oh my God, that's the guy. And it makes sense. Uh, Breakfast club is, is a Chicago thing, Illinois. All those movies happened there. And the fugitive was the same thing. Mm-hmm. It was, it was over there. So that guys is as much as there are New York actors that, scorsese uses for his films in new york there's there's a there's a chicago chapter also that's, of of those actors that were, are going to get cast in john Hughes films and and always be used and or if they're shooting up there um so that was pretty neat to see him i'm like oh my god
1: that's the guy ron dean is his name this came. Yeah. ron dean yeah, it's a great character actor you've seen him in everything he's in well a lot of cop show yeah, watch, a lot of, you watch know, the a lot fugitive
0: yeah. Harrison Ford that's like his his best one where he's just how hound, like hounding right. does, does not want to see anything but this guy guilty and in jail and like he makes cops look bad because it's like he doesn't want to look at any other evidence like he's guilty he killed his wife that's it bring him in so that was right so so the cars the cars are what kind of give you give you some tip-offs and Bender comes walks in with no car he walks he from, just from the, walks the up. field yep. and he's got nothing so so mm-hmm. they they are kind of setting it up and and yep giving you some cues right away to pick up on uh, as to where these, these kids are coming from. And they get, they get in there, they, they sit down and, and, and then Paul Gleason comes in as Dick Vernon and, and just kind of lays the law down. He, he's got nothing but contempt for all of these kids, no matter who they are. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of like, you know, you're, you're going to be here and I don't care. You're going to write an essay today. We're going to do this.
1: Right. It's, and he's just would... not,
0: he's just not having anything. Like, Cause they he's thought, not yeah, they, thought they
1: were going to just spend the day doing nothing. Brian's mom, Anthony Michael Hall's mother, who was actually his real mom, by the way, cast. Yeah, she's like, the do mother. something. You're going to yeah, find gonna a way something. to do something. You're going to find <laughs> a way to study. So you get a, you get a sense of what, what she's all about. <laughs> so, yeah, they they all thought they are just going to sit there and do nothing. But, you know, Mr. Vernon had uh, something else in mind. And pretty much he comes up with this idea of writing an essay, basically saying, you know, just who the hell do you think you are? You know, I want to know who you think you are, you know? So this of course is off putting to the kids right off the bat. And, and most especially Mr. Bender who starts giving him, he gets the ball rolling, so to speak, as to riling everybody up and including Vernon. Oh, so yeah, there's he's a, absolutely, sort of a back and, and forth, you know, he's a punk. He's, you know, he's, he's a bully. He's, you know, he's making fun of people. He's, you know, he's doing doing it all just to get everything up and running. So yeah, there's all this chaos ensues you know as it goes on, but yeah,
0: he's, he's <clears> absolutely <throat> the spark for that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. I, I, I do now have problems with this film. I'm gonna be upfront with you. okay. I hadn't seen it when, you know when I saw it back in the day when I was of that age, I was like, oh my God, I, these, they understand me and they get it and you know all that stuff. I actually probably haven't seen it. I've maybe seen it once since then, although it's a beloved film of mine. I watched it again and I actually, I came away with some different feelings about it. Mm -hmm. You know, kind of like I kind of changed some, some, some things I felt, especially when you're looking at the other films that John Hughes made. But Bender is, is definitely the catalyst. He's the one that is, is always propelling the story forward, either by trying to get the door closed, trying to, to get to the locker, to get the weed, sneaking around. It's everything that he does. compels the other castmates to follow him
1: mm-hmm.
0: and then there are situations that grow out of that so he definitely is for lack of a better term i mean he's the devil's advocate of this mm-hmm. but he comes off a little bit too smart he's a little too in, in yeah. touch with everybody he seems to know every like what what buttons to push for everybody to piss him off or or to get them he's... upset and now when i watch it, i'm like you know he's like a little too smart and a little too all-knowing for me
1: um, yeah, I, 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 I could see that, but to me, that's pretty much the whole point. So, you know, just because he's AKA from the wrong the, side of the track, right, the AKA the criminal doesn't, doesn't yeah. mean that he's not intelligent, that Absolutely he's not, not able to, that he, you know, he can't pick up on these things with from the other kids. And that's, that's why yeah, they think both, was, they despise him and they, they look up to him in a way too. Yeah. Yeah. That, and that's time. what bothered
0: me. He was like a little too insightful and you know, had too much of of the truth for everybody.
1: But then again, you know, I kind of like, get that vibe from Allison as well because she's she's kind of observing everything, right? She's 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 in the background. She's quiet. She's making, and but she's watching everybody. So yeah. she's kind of you know. Well, hers gathering. is more of a
0: romantic a romantic spin on things. Though when they're having the conversations at the end, when everybody's kind of opening up, yeah, and she tells some really severe lies about doing some sexual things and everyone's mm-hmm. shocked. And then she's like, no, it's not true. But if you love somebody, it's okay. And, and she, she has a really romanticized view of it. Of, she's very of, insightful. Of life.
1: Again, the intelligence is there. It's just she doesn't have, she, she may not have the confidence or, or she just wants to be weird. Uh, we, we don't really know. But maybe that just what she needed was someone to interact with because nobody paid attention to her. To begin yeah, with. And she wanted so, to
0: blend it. She wanted yeah. to be inconspicuous mm-hmm. and, 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 dressed very inconspicuously. So she would blend in and ha- had her hair very inconspicuously. So people couldn't see her face. So th- yeah. those were all, all, all choices that she made to kind of hide herself within, within school to be invisible. But then, you know, she shows up at detention because she's got nothing better to do. She actually didn't, she actually didn't right. do anything, which was a, which was kind of a, a, a tension breaker when everybody was at the end, they're all kind of going through and, and having their moments of realization. And mm-hmm. then she's like, I, I like, what did you do? She goes, I didn't do anything. I just have nothing better to do. And, then, and it, you know, so that was a, ni- it was a nice tension breaker because things at, at the end, when they're kind of sitting after like the day is kind of coming to an end and, and all the adventures have been had and, and the fights and, and everything, they're, they're kind of reconciling everything throughout the day and they're, Finishing out, and and Anthony Michael Hall gets to tell really his story about what he did. Yeah,
1: where everybody comes you know, in gets, with why serious. they're there. Yeah, they're all yeah. But of, and,
0: yeah. and that's another part of the pr- problem that I had with the film when I watched it. I was like, it's a lot of telling and not a lot of showing. You know, they they were all telling about these things. they were all telling about how horrible their parents were. And how they don't. Mm. None of their parents listened. And it was every character was telling basically the same thing. So after a while, I'm like, yeah, I I get it, but you didn't. It wasn't really shown. You ha- you literally had 30 seconds in the beginning of of each each character's intro when they got in, you know, when they're in their car and they get out, and and they really the characters are really drawn really broadly to be you know like the mother is like, yeah, do something, and the Emilio Estevez's father is like, you don't want to blow your ride. So so they really kind of really stereotype them, but you but I didn't get a feeling for that. Because everyone had basically the same gripe is that there was parents are put, putting pressure on them or parents aren't paying attention or parents mm-hmm. don't love them. So for me, that kind of started to wear thin because every character basically had the same issue. There wasn't one that was like, oh yeah, no, I have a great home life, and here's here's the contrast to that, and here's you know, there the, the wasn't that balance. There wasn't something to balance
1: it out. There wasn't that representation. And and funnily enough, it's the, uh, when I first saw it, I was a little. I have to admit I was a little put off by that because my home life wasn't certainly not like that. It was, you know, my parents did the best they could. And I was a little off, you know, like all the, all the adults in this movie are portrayed as monsters. They're the way they speak to about their parents, yeah. you know, it's, it's kind of, you know, so I find that a little, a little unsettling actually. And and it's, and you it's know?
0: very strange when you look at, the, at other John Hughes films. Yeah. So if you look at 16 Candles, and the father figure, who's played by Paul Dooley, he's very caring and very supportive of Molly Ringwald's character when she's in love with somebody that doesn't know she exists. And mm-hmm. the father's like, you know what? Well, then he's not worth your time. And then in in Pretty in Pink, when you have Harry Dean Stanton as yes. the father, who's who's like a working man, not doesn't have a lot, you know, could be Bender, Bender's father in another movie.
1: Yeah, he's you know, kind, kind of, of yeah. kind of mm-hmm. downtrodden, Lost. but he
0: always he. He cared for her. He cared for the, the character, Andy, even some kind of wonderful, mm-hmm. which is basically a rewrite of Pretty in Pink. He he rewrote it because the, the he didn't get the ending that he wanted in Pretty in Pink because they tested the original ending and, and audiences didn't like it. So he rewrote the movie with swapping the characters male for female and rewriting the ending. And, and I think that some kind of wonderful is a better representation, I think, of like the teenage experience or what you were going through because you got the whole picture Especially in in that film, you got the friends, you got his, what he was like at work, you got what he was like at school where he was looked at as an outcast. So you saw, but you saw the different facets and then you saw how he interacted with his parents and his parents Mm -hmm. thought he was a brain and and well adjusted and had no problems.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. You know, so when I, when I think about these other films and then I, the Breakfast Club is great because it's like a therapy session. Exactly. You know, you're, you're, you're in the room. It's almost like a play it would really be good as a as a as a stage show because you could have those intense moments with with the characters in in that closed environment and that's really what the breakfast club was when i saw it back then when i was young i was like oh my god this is so intense and it was so like i i couldn't believe it and and you know the 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 young people were just really just intense with how they felt and the the struggles they were going through and as someone when you're at that age you you feel it
1: so the emotions rang, rang high and true. There was a, there was an honesty to it. And we had never seen, I don't think anything like it beforehand. I mean, there was a lot, ton of movies out there where, yeah, you, you do have all the different types of, you know, kids and, you know, high school and you see nerds getting beat up. but typically, you know, it was always that, Oh, I got, you know, i got to get laid kind of thing. And even the nerds were like put typecast into that role of, you know, like porkies and things like that. This was a movie there where we are watching these kids and the emotions are just it's just palpable. And you know that's yeah, they, to me that because it just jumped off the screen and I was I was so taken with that but at the same time but at the same time thinking do I agree with this? Do I believe them? Do I am I supposed to relate to them? It was an eye-opening experience for sure. Yeah you know, because you're
0: absolutely right because yeah. there was the, they had all the stereotypical characters, right? The you yeah, know, the burnout and the, yeah, and and the and the nerd, but none of them were played for laughs. I mean, the, the the movie is humorous. It's not an it's not slapstick comedy, and but there is funny stuff. But the the char- they took those stereotypes and put them in like real world. Like, okay, if yeah. if we had these characters and we put them into a novel, the, and yeah. and they had real world situations, this is this is how these characters will react. So it's, it's like the nerds from weird science, but minus all that weird stuff. Mm -hmm. And when, when there's nothing left and that kid is by himself in a room with other people, what's, what's it really like, Mm -hmm. you know? So I I think that's interesting that you kind of hit on stereotypes that were there before in other movies, fast times at Ridgemont high and and everything that was going on with those films. But, and then the breakfast club comes, comes along and says, we're going to treat the, the, the kids with respect and, and. Kind of, and John Hughes is like, I'm going to really try and get down on their level, yeah, <clears> throat> and throat> and and kind of bring this to their level where the kids are the ones in control of of their feelings, and and they're going to be in a, in a, uh, a situation where they can find out that other people feel the same way. Mm-hmm. That even though they're all so different, that it's it's not so different when you're at home.
1: Mm-hmm. I think it was a shot in the arm for well, teenagers everywhere, and of course. Budding filmmakers who would who would go on to make you know I, I think of uh, people like uh, Diablo Co- Cody who I know was a big fan who's a writer you know she's a writer of of coming of age films and but it it was just that stark real like one room kind of thing where you know you you're forced to to, to deal with this stuff and, and a lot of it felt uncomfortable I remember we we saw it like we saw we saw it actually I don't know if you saw it before me um but we kept I know going i saw it back. more than once yeah. <clears throat> yeah we kept going back you and i we must have seen it at least three times
0: you know yeah it was it was intense back then it was pretty intense because there was nothing yeah. like it because we had come from sci-fi movies yeah. and even for these the other- most for the most part movies as kind of escapist entertainment and you go see and- stuff to get away and and fantastic and indiana jones and and raiders and and return of the jedi and then you go see breakfast club which is about people your age at the time when we saw it, we were were that age and about like heavy subjects. It wasn't, it wasn't the teen comedy. It was kind Mm -hmm. of the teen dramedy. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Except for Paul Gleason though. He just, I can't, I can't, I can't get away from him because he he represented such a threat also to the kids as, as just a, this, this authority figure but also to Bender because he really has it in. We talked about, you know, the cop having it in for Harrison Ford in The Fugitive. Mm-hmm. Well, Gleason has it. Paul Gleason has it in for Bender in this movie. Mm-hmm. He's just he's got an axe to grind. He's just tired of maybe all the years teaching. They, there's a little conversation about that about teaching, but he's just got it in for Bender. And, and there's a scene which really kind of is is pretty telling uh and somewhat disturbing where Bender just kind of is running around the halls he kind of sacrifices himself because the, the, they're all running around and so since five so five of them don't get caught you know Bender's going to take the sacrifice ride. himself yeah. and and run around and and divert the the other kids so they can get back to the library where the detention is so he finally gets caught and and Gleason he it brings, uh, brings him to the like the s- side office and is gonna lock him in there and he's not like, even an office, is-
1: it's like a storage closet. Yeah, like to the side itself. of the office. yeah. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm.
0: and basically, basically says, you know, you're really not gonna be anything. You're not, you're not anything, you're a liar. And then he almost has an epiphany. He's like, you know what, let's 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 have this out right now.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Judd Nelson, but probably in one of the better scenes he has, was kind of like shocked. He's like, What do you like, what do you mean? Like you're almost like you're a teacher, you're not ever gonna hit me and and Paul Gleason's like, "You know what? Who's going to believe you?" Yeah. Like incredible. no, I'm I'm a, I'm known here as a good guy. I'm People the I'm the me. nice guy. You're yeah. you're the you're the, yep. the trash. No one's going to believe you. So you know, I'm gonna, because he kind of said what what set it off. He's like, you know, is is you're gonna leave here and you're gonna go to your life? And he goes, I'm gonna find you. And I'm gonna knock your dick in the dirt, which is one of the best lines ever in movies. You're a, you're a gutless <laughs> turd, the, and yeah, he's just laid it on. Yeah, yeah, just the way he delivered it was just so like, like he 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 was he knew. He goes, I'm I am gonna find you and I'm yeah. gonna get you. Right. And that's when Judd Nelson kind of turned like, oh, like this. Is extending outside of school, like I can't, you know, I can't just come in and and be, you know, this this rough and tumble guy, and then leave and and not have any consequences. All of a sudden, it's like this guy's going to find me in later in life and 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 you know, knock the crap out of me.
1: So oh, it really wasn't.
0: That was pretty probably one of the most intense scenes because it was a real there was a real threat of, of violence and. Paul Gleason is is like yeah we're gonna do this and he takes his jacket off and he's like come on you know I'll give you the first shot take the swing you know tough guy he really calls him out on on his BS honestly you
1: yeah, know refle- if you really well this, I think it reflects guy- his home life too
0: yeah and um, it reflects that he comes from an abusive household yeah. and and mm-hmm. you see he kind of freezes you know almost almost like he's shell shocked almost like he's like this is a kind of something that would go on at home so th- so it was that was a very powerful scene yeah. Uh, and and maybe very telling for for that character. It, it didn't change anything about him though afterwards because he was still antagonistic to the rest of the group. You know, it's just it was just kind of weird. Yeah. But but it was it was a great c- that scene was a great scene because because it, it was just so intense because it was there was real threat there. It was just the two of them. No one would know. Yeah. And, and you don't know that you know the you know Paul Gleason's character was just building up his contempt for this guy.
1: And what's interesting is that he doesn't reveal it. He doesn't tell any of the others about it. You know, if you notice, like, you know, it's, they all hate the guy. I mean, Vernon, you know, he's pretty much a dick to all of them. But and you would think that Bender would be like, hey, you know, he was, but he doesn't. He keeps it to himself, which is, I find interesting, you know. Yeah, so, it might
0: have been so, it might have been so frightening that he didn't yeah. want to share that. Right. You know, I think that's what it mm-hmm. was. It was so, it was, he had that, like, that traumatized look like, oh, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. Or, yeah. you know, yeah. And, and add, you know, I'm I'm tough with people my age, but I can't hold my own you know, cause I come from an abusive home or whatever it was. I, you know, I want to go too far in speculating that, but it was, it was pretty powerfully written mm-hmm. um, and, and just acted out. Cause it was just the two of them and there was no, wasn't played for comedic hits or anything like that, or no comedic beats in the script. It was just kind of, this is, this is happening here. And, and, and then they kind of just let that sit. And, and, then, you, uh, and then, and, you, and then
1: you see a little bit more from the character, right? You see him actually when they're at this point, he's like, he's had it with them. Like, he he doesn't even bother to he to check on him like the, like later in the afternoon, he just decides he's going to take a little stroll yeah, down to the archive done. room <laughs> and he's going through people's files. So you really, you really get a real sense of this, of this guy. Oh, yeah, you know? he's, do,
0: he's doing his dirty work. He's doing yeah. his research on it. Yeah. Oh, he's like looking through the file like, Oh, that's very interesting. He's all, oh, that, well, that's... No wonder
1: he's so fucked up, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> and then of course the, uh, the janitor, comes in yep. and it catches comes him in catches what you
0: doing there what yeah. you doing there dick because the janitor knows everything that's one of the one of the pearls of wisdom is you know the janitor because they're because they're making even the, the students are making fun of the janitor and he's like you know i see everything i see your garbage i look through it i know your secrets i know everything about you kind of you know they were turning their nose that it was probably the only adult they felt that they could probably yeah, be better than because he was one. And like, of them. like who's yeah. who's who's lower than the janitor? And he's like, oh, just you know, be careful. I I'm I see all. I know all. And
1: he doesn't you know, have a problem of... with who he is. Like he's you know he yeah. is who he is. He's he's dealing with it. You know, living his life. You know. So he's like sitting there with with Vernon, and you know, and then you see that side of beer. Vernon come out, and then you get then you start getting some real like stuff coming out of Vernon. Like he yeah. starts he starts like spilling his guts about. What's what he, re- how he really feels. And so there's a little bit of, see, so you, you, you know, in a way, you can't help but feel just a little bit sorry for the guy because he probably put up with a lot of crap over the years from kids, teaching kids. And he's just, he's built this sort of like disdain for, Kids and he thinks that they're all troublemakers and, you know, yeah. and the the, other guys they're like getting worse. Like,
0: that was the thing is they're getting yeah. worse. They weren't like this. And then, and right. like, but Carl, Carl, again, gives another pearl of wisdom. He's like, oh, mm-hmm. you thought you were going to have summers off. You thought this was going to be so easy. Like he kind of, yeah. kind of guessed like, oh, you became a teacher because you're, you're kind of taking an easy way out. And now yeah. that it's work and these kids are, are, are a challenge. It, it's the kid's fault. Yeah you know, these, these kids keep changing They're you know, they're getting worse and worse. And everybody's every generation says that. And we, we say that and our parents said it about us. So it, 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 there yeah. are some, there are some, there are some truths that that are in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, And, and they do, the, the, the kids do hit on it at the end and they kind of, you know, are we going to become our parents? Are, are we going to be like this? Is this is how we're going to be? And, and, mm-hmm. you know, I forget who, who definitively says no, Claire or something like, no, never. I'd like to see – I would have liked to have seen John Hughes try and – like if he was with us, he passed away, to take a crack at, at – I would like to see him take a crack at, at another breakfast club and another, another Ferris Bueller. <laughs> I always wanted to see like Ferris Bueller 30 years in the future
1: mm-hmm.
0: and what he was like. And it would have been interesting to revisit these characters that after they've had kids or not had kids or, or gotten into careers that, that yeah, life life happens to you. Ali Sheedy, her character says something really though. It's kind of like it's inevitable when you get old, like your heart dies, which is pretty. That's pretty brutal.
1: I agree. <laughs> that's I a totally that's a pretty agree.
0: brutal assessment of of parents and parenting in general. Because it's, to have you know they have children, that's a big commitment, and mm-hmm. and I'm sure every child is ho- hopefully brought into the world with love and all that so her her broad uh, scathing indictment of all parents or that your heart dies when you get older it's almost like a peter pan complex of you know when you're young you're innocent and everything about you is pure yeah. when you become older you become jaded and is some of that true absolutely you do become a little jaded you because you experience life but that doesn't mean you're like the most awful thing in the world right so I was agree. kind of like, you know, and so some of those that, that those were some of the things that didn't hit to hit me too good. And then it was just a lot of like sexual talk, like let's impregnate the prom queen. I'm like, that's not going to play too well now anymore. Like that kind of stuff just Absol- does it like, well, like, no, it was cringy. It was no. cringy when I was no. watching it now.
1: I Well, I mean, but kids do talk like that. I mean, I yeah, but I I, I see what you're saying. It would never play. Like now, but interestingly enough, there is uh, some of the characters, how they would see, how it would be, they would seem today. There's an interesting little feature on um, uh, uh, Criterion's uh, Blu-ray edition of of the movie has a little feature where Molly Ringwald was being interviewed on NPR. And she was basically saying that she watched the, the film with her daughter and she had a totally different perspective on, you know, what what her character (laughs) was. And and it was like, and she was cringing out. She was like, Ooh, this is, you know, so, um, so that, that's an interesting interview. If if anybody's, you know, if you ever get a chance to pick that up and check that out, that's a, it's a really interesting feature.
0: Um, Yeah. I I think, and and I think that might, that might hit it is if, if you're of the age when you, I think you have to see this when you're that age because i think there are some universal themes where everybody thinks that their parents don't understand them in in one aspect or another mm-hmm. or there are, there are aspects of your personality when you're young that parents don't get and they they see you as one thing I, so i think this is very important to see it at that age
1: right because I, I think you I,
0: I think it's very identifiable so even though the the characters have the common theme because they're different types of characters you can then identify with the one that does sports or you can identify the, with the one that doesn't do sports, that's more academic and you can identify with this other one. So, so in one aspect, it's, it's very one note, but on the mm-hmm. other hand, you're able to find one of those characters that you identify with and can slot in with on, on this, in this movie. But I really think you have to be in that age because, because they're, they are right a little bit. You, you get, you do get jaded. And as an adult, when you're, I'm looking at it now, I'm like, Oh my God, these kids are just like, come on. <laughs> I'm no, sure most I, of us would kind of, would kill <clears throat> to go back to being that age when, <clears throat> when the, those were the biggest problems generally. And it's like that for
1: every generation. So it's never, yeah. it's really never going to change. So this movie, uh, if you were to ask, you know, does it hold up? What do you think? It, I think it holds up only in the aspect. I mean, if, if you look at it from the point of view of the parents, I mean, of course, you know, they're from an older generation. So things were a little bit different for them, maybe at the time when it's set in the eighties. But if, Every every generation is the same thing. That that social hierarchy is still there. It, it, it's yeah. that, that never changes. So yeah, I think you know my you know uh, my son Jacob could watch this movie and, and, and relate to it. But and that's the thing, the though, days, and you just you know, hit on it.
0: You just hit on it. Is <clears throat> is they have to be of that age? Yeah, I think because because watching it as an adult now, <clears throat> I'm like it hasn't for me it hasn't aged well because it's very heavy handed. Yeah. The, the 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 gripes that the characters have again are, are very similar and they're similar enough that it seems like okay you're beating me over the head yes we know all these kids have problems we know they're you know all tortured souls like it's so so over the top with it mm-hmm. that you got to be that age to get it and you know like, oh, they they totally get me and i get it because i was at that age and that's when it hit me but watching it now i'm like oh it's just like uh yeah, but you're, just so so heavy and 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 the the telling and not showing was was a thing for me too it's like they were just explaining about how bad their parents were you know maybe so, if there was some type of a, a a flash but i know this is not the film and and it the film takes place in a, in a in a in this space that it, they're in yeah but it it just became that very just they're all describing so they're all basically describing the same thing so that is for me where it got just sh- just to be like a one note thing after watching it, i was like this is this was more of a, n- a nostalgia watch watch for me
1: it it brings the characters together you know is an understanding but one does you know you have to wonder are they are they making this stuff up we don't know to what level what degrees that you know each situation is i mean it's yes. just,
0: well it, the parents it, would say no Exactly right. The I parents mean, it be could like, be oh, just no, a, you know
1: miscommunication, misunderstanding, or you're crazy, which is what every overdrive. parent goes through because exactly. kids don't they don't open up. I mean, I could relate to that. I'm a parent. My, my kids, you know, when they didn't feel like talking to me, they didn't. So, is that are they building this stuff up? You know, just to make themselves heard. I think that's the, that's the whole point of the film for me is that they just want to be heard and they finally have someone to listen. They came in perfect strangers. They walked away as the Breakfast Club. Are they going to be friends going forward? We don't know. We don't know. I'm what's going to no. happen. You know, because I they, think I, that, I'm going to
0: say no to that.
1: But they'll I'm they will no. have different perspectives about each other, though. You know,
0: I, I hope so. You you hope so. It kind of leaves you with that, but it also leaves you with yeah it it you with, yeah. <clears> with but, the reality of 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 Molly Ringwald's character saying, "Yeah, no, I'm not going to say hi to you. I'm not mm. going to talk to you." And and there was only two characters that agreed that they would is is Brian, Anthony Michael Hall and Ali Sheedy. They're like, yeah, I, I would. I would. Mm-hmm. And and again, it got so mean. She goes, well, that's because you look up to us. So it's just so like still they're still going in on each other after yeah. after all that, that that sharing of, of everything and all they've been through. They're they're still going in on each other. And that's kind of she's just as bad as as his parent then at that point. Sure. You know, cause yeah, you look up to me and he's, he's like, you're so full of yourself and, and all that, that you know? So I, I don't, I don't know. I, so you know it,
1: but the thing is that's what good that's to me, it, you know, it's real. Makes it that much more realistic to me. And I think a lot of good cinema should do that. You know, you, you should, you know, look at a film and, you know, you kind of put yourself in a bubble and it's, it's more of a personal thing. Not really think about how the, how the audience is going to react, but yourself it's okay to feel a little unsettled by it, a little disturbed by it. No, I don't agree with this because it's not, it's not made for just entertainment value. It's really, you know, just to get in there and to kind of, you know, point these things out. So for me, okay. it's, so- it, I think it holds up better for me than I think you, um, in that, in that sense. So I, I kind of get some, you know, but on the other hand, it's like, you know, I, I also like to think that, I agree with the the sort of heavy handedness of it, but I think it was a necessity for this film, because that's really the point mm-hmm. of the film is to, you know, get okay. these kids together and to kind of, you know, get these things addressed. And they really needed that to bounce this stuff off each other in order to feel what alive, to relate, whatever it is, they they, they you know, they needed to get it out. So obviously they couldn't talk to their parents about it. So it is kind of like a therapy session with no therapist. <laughs> they're they're the therapist themselves, yeah. but you know, but they're also tearing into each other and they keep it real by saying, Yeah, I'm not going to talk to you on Monday. I, I doubt it. Because that's the reality of it. Yeah. You know, because that probably would be the case, you know. So
0: <clears throat> Yeah. It's just you know. it was just a lot. I mean, you know, they they packed a lot into it. And I think that's yeah. that that's probably what makes it now. I, I was pretty happy with with the single watching. So let me, let me, let me put it to you this way. I'm going to, I'm going to rattle off four titles. Okay. I'll I'll do, I'll do five titles. (laughs) Okay. Okay. 16 Candles, The Breakfast Club, Pretty in Pink, Ferris Bueller, and Some Kind of Wonderful. Which one are you going to watch more than once? Or which one are you only going to watch once?
1: I would probably watch The Breakfast Club, to be honest with you. Out of those five, you would pick The Breakfast Club Because I can't, Personally, I can't stand yeah. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Really? I hate that movie. Wow. I cannot. I cannot abide. Oh. I, I just there's something about mm. that film. Shots uh, fired. Shots fired. Yeah, I'm sorry. i Am not going to go too deep into it? But I just that's one. That's one of his movies I could never stand because I, I, okay. I can't stand him and Matthew Broderick in that film. <laughs> He, that that
0: wouldn't be that wouldn't be my number one either. I, I love Ferris Bueller, and, and and when I saw that one two years later, that one was everything. I was like, oh my god, this is the greatest thing, and, and this is like the antithesis to it, and this is the other side of of you know the parents were played as dopes in that one, exactly, and and the, and, the, and the character was smarter than everybody in the room, but exactly. that's the way it was played. But it wasn't played as him being serious as serious. It was it was such a parody. Yeah. For me, I, some kind of wonderful. I think for me is is the the John Hughes film that's the most fully realized.
1: Well, that's the one I haven't seen. In some a kind lot. of wonderful. So I really can't speak to it because it's been a long time since I've seen that one. I think I probably only saw it once or twice. Yeah. I, I remember seeing it in the theater. Uh, Eric Stoltz. Really? Yeah, I saw it once in the theater, and I remember. Um, I caught it after,
0: like on VHS, probably on cable rental. or something like that. Yeah. I rented um, it from RKO Video. <laughs>
1: Ooh, but yeah. No I, think, back. I mean, but Breakfast Club, I could, I could revisit. I could watch it, you know. And there, there are certain, and there are those little entertainment value. There is entertainment value to it. When you,
0: oh, there it, absolutely it, is, it, and, and, you know, and there's the soundtrack. It, I mean, it, you, it's you, an got, easy
1: watch, but it's, but it's also an uh, an intense watch at the same time. So you kind of get the both. Beth the best of both worlds there
0: yeah it doesn't it, it doesn't sense, hurt so. that you had simple minds in there too no um with don't you but and i bought the soundtrack when it came out and, and really the, i bought it for two songs and it's the two songs that are highlighted in the film yeah is don't you forget about me which was a monster hit back then and that mm-hmm. kind of really just put simple minds it, it put simple minds on the map but I, I it certainly didn't hurt the film i the song i actually like better is Wang Chung "Fire in the Twilight"? Yes. That's the song when they're running through the halls.
1: Yes, yes.
0: I love. I I remember when I bought this. I was like, oh my god, that was the song that I really loved because I was a Wang Chung fan uh, separate. So I was kind of like, that was good. But that's just a great song. It's just, and it, and it fits the it fits the action that the, the tempo of it fits fits where it's used in the movie. So I, I really dug that and and yeah. it, it's funny because. John Hughes, like he really also tied the music in. It was such an important part of using those contemporary artists of the time to, on the soundtrack. So it it did, it did also make it of its time because he was using like Wang Chung and he would use psychedelic furs for Pretty and Pink and, yeah. uh, you know, OMD, you know, If You Leave. So all those, yeah. those, so a lot of those iconic 80s songs were also tied to a lot of these uh, a lot of these films from John Hughes that that he he was able to use the artists of the day also. So does it date it a little bit? Sure, but they're they're great songs. So they're not cheesy songs. They're they're songs that that fit. Um, it's and a I time. Think Wang, Chung, Wang Chung is is yeah. under is probably undersold. No one probably knows that song. Everyone knows Pretty in Pink. Everyone yeah. knows If You Leave and, and Don't You Forget About Me. So I'm going to always go with the underdog. I I have to go with Wang Chung. I mean everybody Wang yeah. Chung tonight. Gotcha. <laughs> right? I mean we have <laughs> no. to tonight. We have to. <laughs> have fun tonight and then Wang Chung tonight. That's where I stand on it.
1: Okay. Keith Forsey was the producer I think the music, I think he yeah. compiled the music. Yeah, and they offered the it to producer. Billy Idol. He was working yeah, he was working with Billy, Billy Idol. Yep. Uh <clears throat> producer.
0: So they offered a they offered a lot of people some some spots on this soundtrack and, and no one was was picking on it and uh they offered simple minds and and simple minds actually declined they're like eh, we we write our own songs we don't do that we don't do music that other people wrote um eventually they got them to do it which was good good on them because that made them that that's that that's set right. them up to to then have a have a decent career because they had some really good songs after that simple minds wang chung kind of didn't didn't cash in on it as much they had like one album after um Everybody have fun tonight, which I love that song. So that was their big one. Um, but that was that was pretty much how it was back then. The, the music was so tied to those teen movies, even even not not the John Hughes movies, but but all those movies, all those teen movies had like music in them. Yeah, you know, even even one like this, that's a really heavy drama. There was some opportunity to put put a little dynamic music to get you moving in there, and then they went back to you know when they got back to those other those other hard scenes and those tough scenes, it was quiet. There's no other music. It's not like there's a score going on here. No, it's there it's one of those silence, kind, of, of, kind of like, yeah. kind of like 12 angry men. It's kind of like, there's no music. There's no, there's no cues to tell you to, that, that. There's some tension coming. It's just, it's just there on the page. It's there for the actors and they, and they did have a tough job. I mean, it well, well done for, for an ensemble like this. Cause you really have to, when you're going to deal with material like this, you have to come correct. Yeah you have to. Probably so.
1: the only two cues that they used, like pieces of music, was with Bender when he when he flipped out about telling about his home life, and then he starts flipping out. and You hear this like real intense kind of <laughs> like music going on, and then of course the the scene in the closet. There's a little bit of that sort of tension music like happening, like just underscoring what was going on. It's it's not much, but it's it's there so it really makes that scene more more palpable and you know so so for you the definitive high school film only in the sense that you know i i i felt like i knew these kids i honestly felt like the, the it was there was a truth to them and the, the the uh the there was uh their performances and i i felt like i i actually went to high school with these kids you know a lot of other movies you don't it, there's it's like a goof fest it's you know there are kids you may relate to may not but for the most well, part, that's, all that's what about, I was going ask you. It's all about partying. It's all about you know trying to get the that's girl. That's where I was going. And, yeah. So, and is this, yeah, is and this, there was is that this too. More,
0: <clears throat> is this more or less iconic than Fast Times at Ridgemont High? Which film is more iconic?
1: I think Fast Times is more iconic. You know, that's you got movies like Days and Confused even in the '90s, which you know I, I, that that might be one we could talk about you know a little further down the road too. That'd be interesting when we talk I'd about music. i even think about that and, when I think of
0: – Yeah. <clears throat> when I think of high school films, I think of films in the 80s, like mm-hmm. this stuff. I think of the yeah. – jo- like you can't help but well, think that was of the our... John Yu stuff. And, and you said like Por- Porky's, which is a high school film, uh, Revenge of the Nerds, which is hysterical, <laughs> but it's still a high school film. That's actually a college film. That's a college film. Mm-hmm. I digress. So that would be with Animal House uh, in, in that conversation. But yeah, Dazed and Confused is – that might be the definitive high school film. Could be, yeah. I think I think it might be. I think it's. I think me, that's. Yeah, that, that might be it. Yeah.
1: But like I said, I mean, with, with Breakfast Club, though, it's like I I actually feel like I mean they they were of the right age. These kids were cast, and some of these other films, they're a little bit old. You know, the actors are a little bit older, so they're not really high school kids. Or you know, in this case, yeah. I think. Well, Judd Nelson know,
0: for- was pushing twenty
1: five. Okay. Well. Wow. <laughs> he, he played well maybe he got left back so many times you know that's twenty. you know what and, and that's about par
0: for that character is you know yeah. you're gonna be here and and this way if he if he never leaves that means you know paul gleason can't go after him after he gets out of school right. you know if he's always if he if he just keeps staying he's never gonna get you know he's never gonna get beat up uh, you yeah. know maybe paul gleason will retire and then kind of right off into the sunset into teacher's retirement home, then he can go ahead and graduate. Right.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh boy. So, so that, that's, I, I think, you know, like I said, I, I, I kind of came to it with, with the memories I had and I, and I, I have become my parents, I guess. Uh, I guess the, their, their, their prophecy was correct because I am a little bit more jaded about the film than I used to be. And I, and it's not one that I watch all that often. So I was still clinging to the memories of, of when I first saw it and that impact that it had on me of that age. So I'm definitely going to go with, to, to kind of wrap it up is yes, this film needs to be seen. Absolutely. Yeah. And and if you're, I guess if you're a parent, you might want to show it. If you've got a kid of that, a child of that age, um, or if you're listening and you're of this, of that age, check out this film because you will identify with it. I, I think those, you you're right, those, Yeah. Those, theme, those themes are universal. They don't change, you know, decades may change and, and technology may change, but I think social interactions in school and social where people land socially and what people how people classify each other in in, in school, I don't think that changes. Mm-hmm. I think that's always there. So those are universal things for young people and everybody at some point feels like, do I fit in? Even when you are fitting in, because that, that's what this film deals with, is people that that don't fit in people that are assumed to fit in right like the sport guy and and you know Claire they everyone else assumes well they just fit in and they've got a perfect life and and they don't so I think that's where it's what it's important is it really illustrates that everybody has has these types of problems
1: again we we don't it is a more of sort of one-sided view but I think it's important to as a, as a parent to show it to kids and this is I mean we might have felt this way back in the day, but now, you know, here's what I'm feeling now. So it's, it's important that you can actually sit down with your kids and you can discuss these kinds of things. Now it's, it's, in using this as a vehicle to kind of open that dialogue. I think it's, 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 and I think the movie is, is a perfect, uh, is perfect for that. So.
0: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, and, and again, John Hughes was just hitting it. I mean, he just, I don't know how he was tapping into this. He, he was just. Kind of just a genius. I mean, with the stuff Mm -hmm. he was writing, you know, focusing, being able to focus in on on the teenage experience, and then also be be able to write Uncle Buck and and Great Outdoors and all these other films. So, you know, John Hughes, you got to hand it to him. Even even if you think you know Ferris Bueller's a misfire, it it fits within within his canon of of teen films. Oh, absolutely. There's something there's something for everybody if you pick if you pick those five or six films. You'll find something in at least two or three of them that you'll identify with. If you if you want the goofy or if you want the comedy, you go with Ferris Bueller. If you want the heavy, you, you go with Breakfast yeah. Club. You know, and you, and you'll be able to get it. And then and then the other stuff kind of falls in between. Sixteen Candles is is more the comedic, and then Pretty in Pink and and some kind of wonderful are are two sides of the same coin. It's the same story basically, just with the roles or re, the genders are reversed. So you kind of get to see the flip side of it. And and for my money, just to to wrap that up, is is for me some kind of wonderful, really addresses all the stuff that he did before in, in one little neat package. And then that kind of that kind of closes out the stuff that he was writing at that point as far as those yeah. teen things. He he did she's having a baby after that, but that was about adulthood. You know, so
1: he really See, I of, like that one. That's what so I think it's one of his more underrated because I actually really enjoyed that one.
0: Yeah and so. and he started to come that's <clears throat> when he started to break away and then he started yeah. writing and then he would actually skip high school and go back to elementary school in 1990 with Home Alone and Curl and then he wrote Curly Sue which is about younger Dutch in 91 is about younger kids Dennis he wrote the screenplay for Dennis the Menace uh, he actually went younger so mm-hmm. i you know I, I don't know what what the the story was behind that Miracle on 34th Street he did the, he he did the you know wrote the remake for um so he actually went really really family friendly and brought it brought the the teen angst like level really down and and really went down to kind of uh entertaining really the younger set. So to wrap this up, The Breakfast Club is an absolute 80s classic of of like I said teenage angst. It it's all there. It's a classic in in the John Hughes teen film canon. It's a classic in in teen films just in general if you know, the 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 early to mid 80s was just ripe with those films because you had all those actors in there. Check out The Breakfast Club. You, you won't go wrong. Let us know how you feel about The Breakfast Club. Did you like it? What didn't you like about it? What other John Hughes films did you like even better? Except for Beethoven. We're not going to talk about the Beethoven movies. <laughs> so on behalf of Eric, I'm Dean. Thank you for joining us on the 3324 podcast. And please be kind and rewind. You've been listening to the 3324 podcast with Dean Legiro and Eric Kuber. You can find us on your favorite podcast provider. So please like, subscribe, and rate to become a part of the 3324 family. Your feedback is important. So make sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at 3324podcast
1: and on Twitter at 3324p to join the conversation.